Kalamazoo's Rock Station, 1077 RKR, Bush Machine Head, Corey Winfield. What's going on? What's going on is hockey's back in town. That's right. The K-Wings are back. 1077 RKR presents the Orange Ice Game this Saturday. That's right. They're taking on the Fort Wayne Comets, who we hate, by the way, if you're new to Kalamazoo. We don't like Fort Wayne. They're Hoosiers. It's going to be Orange Ice. It's very cool. And keep your eyes out for freaking Jay Deacon as well. He's going to be hanging out there. If you haven't seen it, you can't miss it. The K-Wings Orange Ice Game. It's this Saturday. Welcome back, K-Wings. With Kalamazoo's Rock Station, 107.7 RKR. Non-stop lock, commercial free rock on the way. Guns and Roses, ever clear. ACDC, new one from Nickelback. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. And welcome to Radio Days podcast radio program that delves into the world of terrestrial radio it's djs and on-air personality and you all fans of radio as a medium here's your host ron hello and welcome to radio days the podcast today's show is produced by ron robinson studios if you need professional marketing videos or professional photography headshots maybe you need drone video or photography head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com you can also hear previous episodes of radio days the podcast there as well you can hear interviews i've done with john o'leary art volo dick Purton, dennis frawley and many many more all that can be found at ronrobinsonstudios.com also i want to introduce you to instacart express the products that you love from your favorite local stores delivered right to your door in as fast as an hour just follow the link in the show notes and get free delivery on your first order over 35 bucks well before we welcome our special guest today a quick reminder Our documentary movie about the history of terrestrial radio, Radio Days 101 Years of Radio, is coming later this year. If you'd like to help out and become a producer for this movie, click on the Patreon link, uh, or you can click the PayPal link to become a PayPal partner as well. Thank you in advance. Well, on today's episode, uh, we're going to be talking to a gentleman that I've worked with at three different radio stations, but what's more is I think he may be the best rock and roll station DJ that you may or may not have heard of. He started his career at WIRX in Benton Harbor, Michigan. He's also worked at WRKR in Kalamazoo. Uh, he spent time in Dallas and at Big Dog 95.9 in Fort Smith, Arkansas. You also might recognize his voice as he's the he's the person you hear on the intro for this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friend and host of 217 Recovery Podcast, Corey Winfield. Corey, how are you, sir? I'm, I'm doing well um nice. yeah thanks for the intro that that's very nice you know, the, <laughs> i'm doing good man doing good man uh Can't well complain. we're gonna talk about a lot of issues here we're gonna talk about your career we're gonna talk about how you got into radio um let's talk about how we met yes let's do that before let's get that out of the way <laughs> like i knew it was coming yeah it, it's it's amazing now the first time i met Corey, um i, I gotta share this story I, I i just got hired at wsjm in benton harbor it was my first day I was about 20 seconds away from turning on the mic and someone that I'd never met, never seen before. He walks in, he opens the door of my studio and he says to me that our, our boss, Gail, had asked him to tell me if it's not too much trouble, try not to suck. Great advice. Thank you for that. Hopefully you. <laughs> what Don, Hopefully what, what, what made you do, what made you do that? Cause that's, it's one of the, one of my favorite stories in radio. What dawned on you to make you, to make you do that? Well, as I recall, it was a nice sunny day. It was a Saturday, and I was bored in the studio. You know, you get bored over there in the rock studio sometimes. And I, I look across, and I say, hey, there's, there's a new news guy over there. And the news department was 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 funny because it, there was two, two types of people, cool as hell or just straight nerdy kind of. And I don't want to say nerdy, but you know what I mean. Like, right. 
they're just all about their job and blah, blah, blah. And, and you were about your job too, as I found out later, but there was, there was a, there was a, either you're going to be cool. Or you're not. So I figure, you know what? New news guy, let me go introduce myself and let's test him. Let's see if he's cool or not, you know? And, uh, I walked over there and it slid because it was like a sliding glass door, you know, almost what well, it was. And so I slid it open and was like, Hey, I think I just kind of poked my head in a little bit. Just kind of looked around. Hey, um, you know, Gail called and he just wanted me to, you know, let, to tell you to, to go ahead and try not to suck today. And kind of shook my head and then I just closed the door and walked away and said, well, we will see. Well, I, I, <laughs> see I, how he takes that. I don't, uh, I don't remember that first newscast, but I do remember that. And we've, we've been friends ever since. Um, so I, again, I'm glad you did that. Uh, my first question, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about your career. My first question is when you were growing up, what were you listening to as a kid and, 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 and your teenagers, were there DJs or radio personalities that you idolized or walk me through that? Uh, yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I used to love to play DJ and I ruined a couple of my mom's tapes because you could record over them. Right. And so like her Michael Jackson, she, she loved the Michael Jackson tape, you know, and whoop, right in the middle of it, it's me going, Hey, what's up? We can hear ourselves, you know? And like, <laughs> but like early on, I, I just kind of had this fascination with, with hearing myself. And, um, later as I, I grew older, um, there was uh, John Jay and Bent Harbor, who I listened to in the morning. I wasn't really, I mean, I, I, I guess at that time I didn't know how much work or what he was doing, but he was all right. You know, um, when I was younger, I just thought, yeah, he's, he's okay. But then my earlier years before that, I remember this DJ in Bent Harbor, and maybe because he had the same first name, but his name was Corey Mann. And he had this awesome intro at seven o'clock, man. And I would try to listen to it every time. And it just was like, doo, 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 the Corey, 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 man show. And, <laughs> and people at school would be like, what's up? Hey, it's Corey, man. You know, and they'd be like, hey, what's up? You know, and so like that became kind of like, okay, I'm listening. And then he ended up leaving. And then Tommy Lee would be at night. And, you know, at night they would do usually the countdowns. And um, Bent Harbor at that time was, it was kind of weird because they were just kind of doing whatever, man. Like, They'd play a rock song, they would play a rap song. They would just kind of, it was just kind of a mix all of, over the place, right? Yeah. So I guess those two. So obviously, you know, you 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 like to be the DJ, but that, that's a far cry from working in it. Uh, how and why did you get into radio as an occupation? Tell me about your first. I know your first gig was at IRX, but yeah. how did you get that first job in radio? I started to. Well, I was cl the class clown, and I love making people laugh. And as I kind of got into my senior year of high school, <laughs> I got fired from the video store. <laughs> yeah, that, that does happen. <laughs> and uh, my mom said, look, you know, you're going to be graduating high school in a few months. I'll take care of your car insurance, you know, like just figure out what you want to do in life. And my brother was going to Michigan State, and I had went there to party with him, and I realized quickly, like, <laughs> nope, that's not going to happen. I would fail. I would maybe last one, one semester and be kicked out because there's no way I would go to class. And so I knew that that wasn't a thing. And I thought, you know, there's a radio station here in town and in school, I had started my own TV show and they let me, it started out with, Hey, can I read the announcements and film myself and play them for people? And they're like, sure. <laughs> and I turned it into like a whole nother like creation of like three minutes of announcements. And then there's skits going on and, and all kinds of stuff. So, I realized, I realized I wanted to entertain people. 
And so I, there's a radio station in our backyard, pretty much, you know, in Ben Harbor. So I called up there. And the first time I called up there, I talked to a guy by the name of Mike Thomas. And he had this real like, hey, man, what's going on? You know, and I was like, oh, my God, you know, I'm talking to somebody. And I was like, I would like to, you know, uh, work there. And what, what do I need to, do, need to do? And I was so nervous. And he said, well, we might have a board op position coming open in the next couple of weeks. I'll tell you what, call me in two weeks. Okay, okay. So two weeks later, man, to the day I call him. Nope, he's not available to voicemail. So I like, damn it. So I leave the voicemail. Hey, Mike's Corey, and you know, just call me back and wait a couple of days, nothing. So I call him back, and it, so that went on for about two more weeks, and then it was like every day I was calling. I was so pissed off that this dude wasn't calling me back, and I just remember thinking to myself, well, just just smile and leave an upbeat, you know, message, <laughs> you know, hey, it's Mike, you know, it's this Corey again, you know, and so finally he does call me back, and <laughs> the message on the answer machine was like. Hey, Corey, this is Mike Thomas from uh, Midwest Family Broadcasting. And uh, apparently you really want this job, don't you? So uh, why don't you call me back and we'll set up an interview. So I, I did, and I met with him, and that's what he said, too. He's like, man, you know, like you called me every day for two weeks. He was like, I was kind of waiting to see how long you were going to keep calling me, but I realized quickly that it was going to be every day until I called <laughs> you back, you know? So I was like, yeah, yeah. Persistence. So he, yeah, so he had me come in for uh, to be a board op, you know, and I thought, man, that's great, and he asked me if I wanted to run boot scoot nights on Saturdays and, you know, some other crap on Sunday morning. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, anything they threw at me, I said, yes. And I quickly kind of moved up to be like the number one board op guy that people would, all right, Corey, you're running my board. Cool. You know, it's going to be a good, good show. And, and on the two way, uh, one day, Mike Thomas says to me, Hey, Corey, uh, you got a pretty good voice, man. You want to, you want to try being on the air? Uh, well, duh <laughs> of course i want to be on the air man so that was an interesting uh conversation because he said okay well i'm gonna have you do the overnights and i don't want you to talk until 2 a.m at 2 a.m you can go live that was like a death sentence ron like Why? to know that i was coming in at 11 at two o'clock the electric chair was going off. Like I was so nervous <laughs> to turn that mic on. Right. You know, and I was having a hard time with what name I was going to choose. And, and Corey Mann had the perfect name, but that was like his real name, you know? And so I'm like, damn, I can't steal that. So I went with Corey white for like a hot minute. And, and then I realized that, you know, the area is so small. If I use some fake name and then I'm out on a remote somewhere and somebody sees me, they're going to be like, you're not Corey Stevens, you're Corey Winfield, you know, like right. stupid. So I thought, you know, this is wrong with the this is wrong with the real name, and and that I think in turn helped me open up a lot on the air. You know, like we all create our own personality on the air. That's not exactly who we are off the air, but in times where I was really vulnerable and things that I had to open up with, like later on in my career, it really helped, and it really helped me kind of connect with me and the on air personality guy too. So. But yeah, man, I was turning the mic. I was shaking. Right. And it was, oh, it was bad. It was real bad. You know, the, the, every time I've gone to a fresh mic, you get those feelings. But that very first time you're going to turn on the mic, it's just, you're in the room by yourself. But man, you just, the, the things that, that go through your head, it's scary as, scary as nobody's business. Talk to me. So how long did you have to do that before they said, hey, we're going to make you a jock? Oh, not long at all, man, because... Um, I started doing weekend. I mean, it, it, it went so quick. And when I first got hired on as a board op, I was 17. And I mean, by, I, I don't know, I'd say a couple months maybe. And then, um, I was doing weekend overnights 
and then overnights during the week. And then the week, cause Mike Thomas, see Mike Thomas, he, uh, I believe he's back in Chicago now, but for, he was like the head of CBS sports, CBS radio sports, like the whole head of that. And I'm like, that guy hired me, man. Like, how cool is that? Right. Like that dude's like made a name for himself. And, um, but he went on a firing spree, boy, he was hot. He just started firing people. And I thought this was great because every time somebody get fired, he'd be like, all right, Corey, you know, you're, you're moving up. now. Yeah. Now you're doing nights, you know, I'm like, all right, great. Keep on going, buddy. I really like that midday slot. If you want to get her out of here, <laughs> but, but no, he went on like this thing and it, it was pretty cool. And then Phil Becker was doing nights and I was doing like overnights, kind of like the regular guy. And then Phil Becker had a surgery. So I kind of moved to nights and then, um, then some, <laughs> some management changes. Cause Mike left and they brought this other guy and he was just, wow. Um, not sure, but I mean, looking back at it now, though, they didn't pay anything, you know, like, what would you, what kind of a person would, would you expect them to bring in? Sure. You know? And, um, you know, we were probably unfair to those guys. Cause like, especially Phil, cause Phil was really driven Phil Becker and he had dreams, man. And he really wanted to do things. And I kind of caught on to that too. And, and realized, yeah, I want to do things too. I want to, you know, be in a, a rated market. I want to be in top 10 market one day. And, you know, I saw him, Phil left for Grand Rapids and it was like, okay, cool. And uh, this new boss came in and, oh my God, there was this one time, his name was Robert Olson. Robert, Robert O is what he called himself. Um, but he, he just had the style that we weren't used to, you know, cause Mike was so cut and dry with it. And, um, we were at the, the, the Marion County Youth Fair and we had those stupid jam box things, you know, yeah, those heat heat traps. And we were in there, and that has has our own set of microphones in there. And the board op who hated us, um, she went out and got the the PD because she could listen, you know, put us in queue and listen. And we didn't realize it. We thought we were just on the hand. We didn't realize the mics were hot in there. We just had the handheld, you know, because you once you get done with your break, you made sure you turn that off, you know. Right. If, if, no, it might it might have happened once that you didn't, but you turned it off ever since. So you know, we had it off, but we were talking, and and Phil was just blasting Robert, Robbo or whatever, and uh, just saying you know he sucks and this and that. And next thing you know, for the two ways, like, hey, Phil, Corey, uh, I'm gonna need you guys to meet with me when you get back to the, the station. Um, I just heard everything that you said. We were like, ooh, and Phil was like, okay, see you then. He got in there and Phil lit his ass up. Like that was a that was one thing that backfired on Rob because Phil was like, yep, you do this, this, this. That's not what I was trying to do this because Phil went to Specs Howard, which you're familiar with. So Phil was like, kind of felt like he knew what he was talking about. And he got bringing this guy who's like, who are you, dude? And what are you telling me to do? Right. You know? And so it, it was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't, I don't think I said anything in that meeting because. After Phil blew him up, I was like, are we done here? Because <laughs> I just agreed. <laughs> right. So, but anyway. But um, you, 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 you got quite the name for yourself. I mean, you were doing some great bits and, and stunts on your, on your show. How did you know? I mean, how did you know what to do and what not to do? Because that's one, I, one thing I've always respected about you is you, you just always seem to be ahead of the curve and know what's going to entertain and keep listeners listening. How, how did you know what to play on the air? I just thought. <laughs> how can I entertain myself? That's, that's pretty much what I thought. And I thought, would I laugh if I heard that or 
is that something that would keep me going? And I just kind of went with that. Out of um, out of all the jocks that you worked there, you mentioned John Jay. He did a, a very successful morning show at IRX. Yeah. But you were doing you, the stuff that you were doing was very similar to what he was doing. Did you were you picking his brain, or was he giving you ideas, or were you just kind of learning on the fly? I mean, what, how much interaction did you have with the morning show? I didn't have much. I mean, I, there was a time, um, a very short period, where I kind of did some producing for John, and realized that that wasn't going to work. I can kind of explain that a little bit later on, but John, like I would listen to John a little bit, um, but I didn't like to steal from other people. I, I felt I could take something that they've done and make it a little bit better, but someone on my own station, I, I just kind of stayed away from that. But no, John was good. It's just when I saw John, it was, he was there at 10 or he was there at six and he was, he was out at 10, you know, five 30 or whatever he came in, but he was gone after his show, he was out. And that's something I kind of thought was like, Hmm, like that's weird. Now what I didn't know is he probably went home and did his, his prep at home. You know, sure. like I don't think he really liked hanging out at the station and probably people bugged him a lot. And, you know, finding out what they paid him was probably the reason why he didn't stick around very long either, but. But I, what I think John did that was amazing is he surrounded himself with funny people. Like, for example, Larry Heron, who's gone to oh, yes. California and, and made a nice little acting career for himself playing bit parts. But he was just, I mean, him and others that were kind of, you know, I don't know what you call them, stunt boys, or they did the outrageous stuff. That show was hilarious, the show mm -hmm. that they were, the work that they were doing on that show. Yeah. Yeah, John was really good. And, you know, a part of me probably, like, I wish I had more time with John. You know, because like I said, you know, he would he'd be gone, you know, and the only time you'd see him are at station events and like you'd want to like hang out with him and talk to him. And he'd just kind of be like, eh, all right, see ya. And then I was a young punk kid, you know, to him, you know, wore right. my hat backwards, <laughs> right. thought, you know, I was the next best thing. And, you know, it, it probably got on, on his nerves a little bit, too. But but no, I really like John to this day. And, you know, I respect what he did. And like I said, you know, I would see him leaving at 10, but I, I didn't realize that he was, you know he was show prep. He wasn't just leaving. And then you, you get it later on too. Like we never stop, you know, our brains like to this day, my brain still works like that. Always you know, doing show prep. You're always doing show prep. Yeah. Go to the grocery store. You know, I can make funny <laughs> things out of everybody, you know, like it's, it's just something, it just never stops, man. When, yeah. Yeah. When, uh, now you talked about wanting to do things uh, you actually left, uh, the stations there. I still, I was still there when you left, you went on to Kalamazoo. Talk about that transition from going, uh, to and, and look, WIRX was definitely run like a like a major market radio station, much like the mm -hmm. Rocker was. But talk about that transition from going to the, this Coloma boy going from Benton Harbor to to Kalamazoo because it's a bigger market. What was it like uh, when you went over there? I felt like I was finally getting the recognition because you know Benton Harbor. I, I felt like I had, I had outgrown it almost. And Shelly Morgan, um, I consider her a friend of mine. She was the PD at that time. And I would go to her and say, Shelly, like, I want to learn more. Like, Shelly taught me how to do imaging and taught me all kinds of stuff. And I, I wanted to learn how to program music. Like, I wanted to do everything. And she kind of hit a point where she wasn't comfortable teaching me that, you know. And I just felt like, okay. And then I get a call from Jay Deacon. 
uh, freaking Jay Deacon. He was the program director for WRKR. And he's like, Hey man, um, I've heard of you. We have a job opening. I want you to fill it. <laughs> I was like, okay, like that's pretty badass, you know, like, and I had just read an article in all access about him. And I was just like, that dude just called me, you know, like, Oh my God. And this is crazy. So this big send off and I was nervous and I, I get there and I'm doing middays and it was different. It was weird. Um, but it was also in what way, Corey, how do you mean it was weird? It was weird because they were still playing CDs <laughs> you know, and at that time, you know, we had got the dad system, which sucks, but we just got in and thought it was great in, in Ben Harbor, but the studios were nasty. I mean, just, it was, it, it just, you went to a bigger market and the facilities weren't as nice as the market you just left. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the whole, well, this is how we used to do it there. And why are we doing like, why is this this way? And that CD skipping, like, why is that CD skipping? Why do I have to play cut two instead of cut one, Ron? We're not going to talk know. about that, are we? We'll bring that up in a what minute. It, what does it mean, edit version? I don't know. Why can't we just play the unedited version, Ron? I'll ask Why you about that in a second. Answer my question, Winfield. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, and then, you know, just not really knowing people and um, kind of getting a feel for their market because Kalamazoo, Benton Harbor, you know, Southwest Michigan, totally different. Even though they consider themselves Southwest Michigan, they're really not. But so it just just getting a feel for who's listening and, you know, taking the calls and and how they're responding to my bits. And, and ju- it just took a minute, you know, um, it didn't take long, but. But that was the first where you got you were a big fish in a little pond, so to speak, because, I mean, I remember coming to visit you and, you know, people would be asking for your autographs that you, you had to see that you were starting to get a following. Uh, and, and, and how did that, how did that happen? I mean, you were just probably doing more of the stuff that you learned from Shelly and the stuff you were doing in IRX. Were you doing anything different for your show though? Yeah. Jay Deacon had a lot to do with that. Jay was so driven and Jay, Jay didn't care. Jay was so secure and knowing what he knew, he did teach me music. He, Jay taught me everything. He said, man, if I were to die today, you could take over and they wouldn't miss a beat. He's like, that's what I want. And I was like, that's what I want. You know, cause my end game wasn't Kalamazoo. You know, like that wasn't, that was like, okay, here's, you know, the next stop. And Jay was so awesome. And I learned so much at WRKR, you know, about presence, about, you know, teasing and, and the payoff and just keep the flow going and the momentum. And it it was, it was great. And the the smoke and mirrors a little bit too. Um, Jay, let me kind of do whatever I, I mean, it was a cumulus station, so they weren't real strict on what we did, but you know, Jay just kind of let me do what I needed to do. And he moved me to nights and I was really pissed off about it at first. You know, I was like, man, I came here to do middays. And he's like, no, I need you on nights. He's like, I want you to do a morning show at night. He's like Mike McKelly. And at that time, Scotty buddies, like they've been here for so long, dude. He's like, they need somebody to push them, you know, and I, I want them to like be scared. You know, he's like, I want, I want you to go hard, man. And so I did. And I remember one time he called me in and he was reaming me because I I wasn't a big fan of the weather. You know, I'm like, people can get the weather wherever they want, man. Why do we need to do this every hour? Well, because it's sponsored. Well, they can sponsor something else. If it's not sponsored, then I'm not doing it. Well, you have to do it because, oh, oh damn it. So, okay, here's what I'll do. And I had my friend Aaron, who was a sales guy at the time. Uh, he did a character called the Chief. And it was, 
it, like we, we we could not get away with it today. There would be so many people wanting to sue us and you know, that is not right. But he'd come on and he'd be like, this is the chief. And he would just give like, oh my God, it's cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. And then he'd be like, oh, 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 oh. it was so totally politically incorrect. But we had fun with it, and it, it was it was nonsense. And Jay was like, what in the hell are you doing, man? The chief, really? Oh, it's annoying. But it was funny because Aaron was a funny guy, and he'd come up with stuff. Well, I got, the ratings came back out. I had like a 27 share, and he's like, do whatever you want, man. Do here. Do whatever you want. I'm stupid. Do whatever you want. Sorry I even said anything. <laughs> so, so then I had uh, another guy called the Cowboy who I really liked him. We did want to be a DJ contest because ESPN was doing some kind of thing at the time and i was like let's do a want to be a you know dj and kind of make fun of ourselves so we put like all of our mess ups in like a a, a promo piece and it's like do you want to be a dj apparently it's not hard you know send in your stuff well he sent in his stuff and he was so funny he was ripping all of us apart and it was hilarious and this kid not sure exactly what's going on with him but he he's a little different and he'd be like, well, you know, Corey Winfield, I think he's from Bend Harbor and he, you know, he's new. So, but he still kind of sucks. And, you know, and Jay Deacon, he's stupid because he's from Kansas and, you know, this guy, Michael McKelly, he's not funny at all. You know, Scotty Bud needs to just stop because he sucks. And I'm like, man, this guy's awesome. You know, and I, I get a hold of him and his dad and I'm like, you know, what's going on? And I never did ask, you know, what, what's going on with him, but I just, I just treated him like anybody else. And, I had him start coming out to my remotes, which was hilarious. Like he, oh my God, <laughs> the cowboy was, was great. His real name is Tyler, but he would come out and he'd want stuff to do, you know, let me do stuff. And I'm like, okay. And we had a minute and a half breaks, which seems like forever now, but minute and a half breaks. So I would never keep a stopwatch. And Jay was like, you know, if you go over a minute and a half, I'm gonna start finding you guys. So I had cowboys sit behind me and he timed it. So at a minute 20, He'd either start barking like a dog, start crying, whatever I told him to do. And that would, the salespeople would be like, what? And then the people I'm talking to at the remote, like, what's this dude doing back there? He's barking like a dog, you know? And I would never <laughs> let anybody in on it. So they just thought he was really weird. And we were at the Cole Auto Mall one time and it was inside and like the, all these classic cars in there. And Aaron, who was the chief, was there with me. And we're, you know, because he was the sales rep and we're going around and, and Tyler's sitting there and he's always moving and shaking his head. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, well, I want to know what these horns sound like. <laughs> I was like, well, honk them, buddy. You know, so he's going around <laughs> and, he's, and the sales staff inside and they're getting pissed off because he's walking around honking and, and like, he's like, he's really like thinking about, you know, how did that just sound to me? And he goes to the next one. Eh, eh, mm, mm. No, he goes to the next one. Well, we're doing a break. And I'm like, you know, I, comes to me and I'm like, yeah, live on, you know, location here at the Oak, all, the Cole Auto Mall. And the next thing I hear is, <laughs> and me and Aaron, we stop, we look over. And I mean, it stops me in my break and we're live, you know, and I look over and he's hanging out of this truck. He got stuck. And we I, I did the rest of the break laughing my ass off. I couldn't stop laughing. And I, I just, I couldn't. And finally, I think Jay was, he was running the board. He ditched out on it. And cause I, I couldn't pull myself together. And, and then the phone rings. And I was like, oh, damn it. And it's Jay. And I was like, yeah, man, we'll do a make good. You know, he's like, no, he's like, dude, he's like, my wife just called me. She about drove off the road. She laughed so hard because you could hear so the horn. Funny. 
and you could hear me go, oh my God, cowboy or something. And then I just go into rub in the air and he said, you just heard laughter. He said it was hilarious. So your willingness to do anything on the air, did you, did you always know that that was going to work or were you sometimes, did you catch lightning in a bottle on accident because you were just willing to go and do things that other people didn't do? I think it was a mixture of that. And sometimes I, I would just think it's a good idea. And then it turned out not to be such a good idea. <laughs> And then I would get talking to, or, or I would have an, a, an event or, or something planned. Uh, and it would just, it would backfire on me. Um, and how it sounded, I don't know if you didn't have a good tape, like Jay, we air checked every week. And I remember one time I brought him this weak ass tape, you know, I had a bad week or something and he takes the tape out and he throws it at me. He's like, what do I pay you for? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I pay you to entertain me. He's like, now entertain me. Don't ever give me a tape like that again. Get out of here. You know? So he was always pushing me. And so I was always coming up, trying to come up with better stuff. And I would try to think, okay, what would Mike McKelly do? Okay. Let's not do that. Let's do the opposite. Because in my opinion, I mean, he could do whatever, you know, I wasn't a big fan, but he was, he was still doing like Johnny Carson bits. And then like, dude, he'd been dead already like 20 years or something. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, they're just going through the motions and and those, those people I didn't really care for, you know, and I would just try to be not them. So if it meant to go outside and throw dog crap at people, then we would do that. And that backfired, you know, cause it rained, <laughs> didn't plan on it raining that night. Have you been thinking about starting a podcast? I highly recommend Buzzsprout. We use it here for this podcast and could not be more happy with all the bells and whistles we have access to. Buzzsprout gets your show listed in every major podcast platform. You also get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that can drop into other websites, detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and much more. Following the link in the show notes gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. Plus, it helps support our show. Go check out Buzzsprout today. Second shift, block party, flannel, living room concert, one hit, one day, rocker, mandatory, Metallica. Yeah, it actually is spring. It's gonna be 45. Rocking the second shift with Corey Winfield. I realized this guy could be a whole lot of fun. It's sort of like a little prankster. If you could control him. Kalamazoo's Rock Station, 1077, RKR, The Rocker. Well, I will I will bring up what you just mentioned a few minutes ago about uh, some of my favorite memories in radio, some of my radio stories. You were somehow involved, and <laughs> you uh, got me a, a job at the sister station at Rocker. I was still in St. Joe, Benton Harbor, still working at I was working at WYTZ, the sister station. I was doing mornings on the country station, and I wanted to do something more top forty. So you got me a gig on the weekends, um, and uh, do you want to share that story, or do you want me to to, to Walk the plank and tell it. Well, I'll tell a little. You All can right. Pick up, right. So, yeah. So, Ron, you get him this job in Kalamazoo and tell him, man, it's going to be fun. And Woody Houston was the PD at the time. And you picked up a weekend shift. I'm like, cool, man. My boy Ron, you're going to really like him, you know. And I, I thought it was so good for you, you know, to kind of spread your wings right. a little bit. And Woody happened to be having a, a poker tournament at his house. I had never played poker before, but I went, I was like, yeah, I'll go. And so we're having this, his, all these guys from the station, all his friends over at, at his house. And next thing you know, the, his phone rings and he's instantly mad. And he's oh, okay, bro. <laughs> Hangs up and he's like, fuck you, Winfield. I was like, what? You know, and I had, I had just smoked some weed, I think. So I was real kind of like real confused what was going on. And, He's like, fuck you. And I was like, what, what do you mean? I'm never hiring another motherfucker you sent through here. And I was like, but wh- why? He's like, 
oh mother and he's just cussing out the door he's i'm gonna go gotta go fire his ass now and i'm like what 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 and that was like before like we had cell phones i couldn't just send you a text ron what the hell just happened man and so then i i, I hear what what happened was what ron what well here's happened? what happened here's what had happened um, as you mentioned earlier, this, the, the building was run on CDs. So you had to put this physically put a CD in, cue up another CD for your next, next song. Anyway, I, I had a Britney, I was coming out of Britney Spears toxic, which should have been an omen right there going into <laughs> big, going into big country, big country. I'm sure you're familiar with both of the songs. Well, big country stuck. It's, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't click into the CD player. So obviously you have the list of, you know, the next one down, pull it up. And so I put it in and I pushed it into the cart and I double clicked the play button, which took it from track one to track two. Now, in my defense, no worthwhile PD would have the R, the, the FU version. And we're talking about the song is aim and I don't want you back. And if you don't remember it, yeah. It was an artist named Eamon. He wrote a, a like he wrote a like a, a, a fu letter to his girl who had cheated on him, and it was and he and he made a song out of it. And there was a, there was an, a, a version where they used the f bomb. That was track two. I don't know why they would even put that on the disc, but I I clicked it. Like I said, I put the CD in the CD player, hit the button twice on accident, so it was tracked up. So I'm doing my voiceover, and I'm gonna try to hit the post. Well, I I I, I do my break. I pot down, and and. You know, I'm good for the next five or 10 minutes. Well, I didn't have the radio station on like real loud. So it was kind of low. So I really didn't hear anything. So I'm starting, I'm started doing something else. And then the phone lines just lit up like a Christmas tree because people were like, what is it? So like I answered the one song in the, in the, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not kidding. The guy goes blank, the FCC play that again. I want to hear that again. They, they loved that. I played the F bomb version of, I don't want you back. And yeah, that was my last air shift at, uh, at that, uh, Kalamazoo radio station. I'm thankful that no one recorded it. I don't it. know why <laughs> I liked you so much. <laughs> F you, you hope yeah. I don't want you back. Oh yeah. yeah. It was yeah. bad. I'm, I, that could have been, you know what? That that could have been much more costly had I done that in Detroit or a major market where someone was maybe recording. Because, I mean, we laugh about it now, but that was shortly <laughs> after the whole Janet Jackson thing. The FCC had a, a fire up their butt, and uh, they were they were you know they were punishing people who were, were who were going against the standard. So that could have been much worse for me. I mean, it's funny now, but I could tell you when that happened, you could have cooked an egg on the back of my neck. I'm just saying. <laughs> Oh my god, that's hilarious! Like, yeah, at the time though, I bet it was whoop. Like, oh no, I bet, <laughs> I bet you'd shake your pants a little bit. Now, I don't. It's you know, it's like a, it's like a flashback that I don't like. It just gives me the the willies. But that's neither here nor there. We there's much more to come uh, in our in our career together. Some interesting stories. But before we go on to that, from from Kalamazoo, you went to Dallas. You talked about wanting to get in a bigger market. Here you go. Talk about the transition from when you went to Kalamazoo to Dallas. This is a major market now. Yeah, well, first, though, I went to San Antonio. Oh, I forgot about the stop in San Antonio. So what took you to San Antonio? Oh, a girl. A girl. As your cat walks by. (laughs) Yeah, a cat just walked by. Yeah, the girl. So I was like, all right, cool. Um Am I to believe that you made a, a career a like, career decision on a girl? That's what you want me to believe? 
Well, no, I mean, it was a, when I was in Kalamazoo, I was like, all right, I already knew that I was better than a lot of people. And, and not just saying, I mean, I was for real. I mean, I was putting in the work. I was doing the things I needed to be doing. You know, I was learning a lot from Jay. I, I learned the programming side of things and, and why this and why that. You know, I, I was gaining all the knowledge, but I felt like it was time for me to go. You know, I've been there almost two years. And, you know, she got a job in San Antonio. I started listening to San Antonio jocks, and they're horrible. I was like, what the hell, man? This, then they were like 28, market 28 or market 30 at the time. And I said, like, man, these guys suck. I was like, so I start sending my tapes out. And I didn't hear nothing. And I was like bombarding that market. And, you know, we did like six months. I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to show up and introduce myself, you know. And I, I was, like I said, pretty confident in my in myself. So I moved down there and I sent out a tape and it gets in the hands of a guy. I think he works for iHeartMedia now, um, Craig Chambers. He gets my stuff. And it was for the competition. Uh, the girl I was seeing at the time, or her name is irrelevant. But she worked for Kiss FM, which is a Cox station. And the station I sent my stuff to was the competition. And so Craig was like, all right, man, sounds good. I'll meet with you tomorrow. I'm like, perfect. And I'm like, man, I mean, the the Jacks are horrible at that station. And they were getting their asses kicked in the ratings. I thought, man, I'll I'll make them. And they they had this guy named Kid Chris in the morning who I thought was hilarious. So I'm like, man, this would be great if I could do nights, Kid Chris doing the mornings we could really make an impact in this market. And he calls me back after he called Jay uh, Deacon. And he's like, yeah, Jay had great things to say about you. But he also said that you're dating Alexis from kiss. I said, yeah. And he's like, yeah, sorry. can't hire you, man. Uh, what? <laughs> like, what do you, what do you mean? You can't hire me? Like th- what, what secrets am I going to give them? They're kicking your ass on the ratings, man. Like <laughs> right. what, what are you talking about? If anything, I could be an insider for you, you know, like, like I'm about winning bro. And, I don't know. It really kind of pissed me off, but I ended up uh, getting a job with Cox, which kind of was bittersweet because they told me, yeah, you know, we'll hire you for sure. You sound great, but we're not going to hire you full time because we don't want on-air staff couples. Uh, Whatever, man. So that was kind of like heartbreaking at the same time, but they put me in there and I remember I was on uh, Magic 105.3, best of today's 90s, 80s, 90s, and today, you know, and and I get in there and they're, they're training me. And he's like, here you go here, read these. And I was like, okay, well, what do, is this my, where's my personality break? You know, and, oh, you don't, you don't have, you just, you just read these. And I was like, I just read the same liner over and over. He's like, well, yeah, but then you introduce the band is going to be different every four hours. And I was like, wait, wow, <laughs> very vanilla. <laughs> yeah. So that was like, oh my God, like here I am, this, this crazy gorilla and they're getting me in this little cage, you know? And I'm like, this sucks. And so I remember one time I filled in, um, on Martin Luther King day and I I was just so done with it, man. I was just so over it. And this kid called and I was like, you know, what's up, what's going on? Hey, nothing, man. I was like, what are you doing home? He's like, Martin Luther King day. And I was like, Oh, your parents home too. And he's like, no, they had to work. And so I I walk him through his fridge and tell him to drink all the beer. And, and I, I play the phone call and Oh my God. Uh, the guy is the PD is chef. Robert John was his name. That, that, that was like brutal for me too. I'm working for a guy and he calls himself the chef. Hey, it's oh. the chef, Robert John. I'm cooking up classics on the midday. You know, I'm like, oh. Jesus, shoot me, dude. <laughs> you know, like, are you kidding me? So I had the chef come in, give me a talking to about how we don't play phone calls. And, and he questioned me, did you just tell that guy, that kid, that 12 year old to drink his parents beer in the fridge? And I said, I might've implied that. <laughs> <laughs> 
he went on to tell me to never play phone calls again on his station and yada yada and so now i'm like yo this isn't really for me and then across town like people would meet me and they'd be like man you sound really good you know and our country station has an opening and they're looking for someone in the afternoons you know afternoon drive and i'm like well cox at that time had west and east they had two different buildings and that one was completely different building than where um alexis had worked at the time where kiss and magic were this was totally it's a whole different side of the country pretty much you know and so i went over there and i started doing afternoons on the country station which was just it was hard, but I thought, you know, if, if I can get a full-time gig out of this, then it'll be worth it. You know, it really wasn't about entertaining anymore. It was about how can I get a full-time gig? And I remember Robert or Roger Allen, and he was kind of a big deal in country music, uh, called me in. He was the PD and he's like, Hey, uh, we need to do an air check. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, and I liked air checks. Um, a lot of, a lot of jocks don't, and you, you get, you get comfortable with them after you realize how to take the criticism and he, he says to me, he's like, okay, um, you, you sound like a rock jock. Yeah. And I was like, I thought it was a compliment. I'm like, thanks man. You know, and he's like, this is country. You know? <laughs> right. I was like, oh, okay. And, and then he hits me with the whole Y100 and how to say the thing. And I, and I started laughing. And I was like, oh, this is from Howard Stern, right? The private W-A-N-B-C. parts. WNBC. WNBC. Yeah, he, he, he was joking. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, he, he had not seen the movie. And I thought, well, that's crazy. How have you not seen this movie? You know, you've never seen private parts. Right. He's like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about, but let's, let's focus on why 100. <laughs> and I was like, he's not kidding. Like this is, this is really happening too. You know, like to me, like, like now when I tell the story, it's going to suck. Cause everybody's going to think it's the Howard Stern stuff, but no, this stuff still happens. Why 100, you know? And I'm like, Oh my God. And I think I sent you that stupid ass. It, it makes me, it, 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 it's not right because I, you are a rock and roll jock. And when I hear you trying to be somebody, you're not, it, oh, it's, it's hard to listen to, but, it's, but having said that you would have been fine for work, but it wasn't what you were doing as a brand. Yeah, it, it was horrible. Not, I didn't like it at all. I didn't like any of those stations when we left there, like, I saw an opening in Dallas for Cumulus and I'm like, you know, we got to call Jay. We got to get all our Cumulus people on board to back us up and and pump us up for this job. And, you know, there was looking for all day parts. So I'm like, let's go, you know, let's, let's send some demos. And we called Jay and, and Jay was on it and putting in good words for us. And um, we were told, all right, you know, we'll, we'll take you. Um, we'll, we'll find a spot for Corey, you know, I'm like, all right, cool. And we go. And when we were leaving there, I had, said to some somebody i was like i would rather be scraping gum off the bottom of the seats at wrigley field than work one more day for cox radio right and they all like hated me for saying that and i didn't say it on the air or anything but it got around and like so now like all those people hate me but whatever you're just being real (laughs) right i mean dude that sucked it sucked man reading like seriously like read this over and over and over like it was horrible like oh it was bad man but from from dallas go ahead from San Antonio, you went to da- from San Antonio, you went to Dallas. Talk about that transition. Well, that transition, um, it should have been a wake up call uh, for me, but it wasn't. Uh, ended up getting that later in life. But no, we get to Dallas and we go to meet the PD. Uh, his name was Jerome Fisher, which I wasn't a big fan. Thought he kind of sucked. And uh, that was the thing. Like back then, like when I was like twenty six, twenty seven, I thought everybody sucked. Like everybody sucked. I mean, there was a few that I liked, but most people just sucked. And you know, this Jerome Fisher guy, he sucked. I'll go by fish. My name's fish. And just, he just, he sucked, man. And he came from like some podunk ass Alabama station or something. I don't know. And 
we had suck ass Walton and Johnson on the morning and not a big fan. And I'm just like, uh, so I'm talking to him about the ideas and, you know, like, what do you got going? Like, how are we going to bring these ratings up and this and that? And, and as I, as I'm talking to him, I'm drinking and more and more drinks and more drinks and more drinks. And, uh, I scared him. He was like, I don't want this guy who's completely out of control and got all these ideas. I don't want him on my station. So it went from, Hey, you know, welcome on both of you guys to, well, hold on. Let's pump the brakes on this Corey guy. And, uh, so yeah, I was pissed. Why, why do you think you spooked him? Was it just because you were just throwing out all these ideas as you continue to drink or? Yeah, I think it was that. And the fact that he didn't have any of those ideas. He, he, I don't, I don't think he really knew how to make that station better. He was just kind of like, okay, cool. Someone gave me a job, you know, now I'm here. And, and I was just kind of mad at him with like all these, like, let's do this. And how about this? And, and then, you know, being drunk on top of it, you know, and then just not knowing when to say when like when you're meeting a boss for the first time probably best not to get you know shit faced like that right and then start throwing out <laughs> these advice. ideas good and, advice and yeah and looking at him like he's stupid and so he was like yeah we're gonna pass on Corey." so i kind of bummed around and did whatever for a minute and then i ran into him at a post office one day and he's like hey man do you want to uh you still want to shot on the air here i was like yeah and it, the, the jocks were they were horrible like and that was the thing that it really kind of taught me like it doesn't matter how good you are if you do a whole things you know like that could really turn people's stomach like they could look at you and go yeah you would help our ratings but not worth it right and so i was like yeah you know he's like all right well um you can do saturday and sunday mornings from 6 a.m to noon i was like whatever bro so i i started doing that and then he tells me that i'm not supposed to talk he just wants me to sit there and watch the board Oh my dude. That was the biggest like bitch slap. And I was like, Oh, he's, he's going to be funny now. Huh? That only lasted for a couple of weeks. And then he quit. And then I just cracked the mic and then people were like, who's this Corey guy? Why? Who, who is he? Why, where'd he come from? <laughs> so you started doing the radio that you were accustomed to doing then. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was just like willy nilly all craziness. And, um, then they had me filling for this one guy for like a hot minute. And then they were like, all right, well, cool. Just, you know, do nights. And I did nights and, by that point, though, I had a problem. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in a second because you didn't really know you had a problem. But you weren't in Dallas long before you moved over to Fort Smith, were you? Yeah. No, a few years, four, three, four years, something Oh, you like were that. there that long. Okay. Yeah. And then maybe two, three. I don't know. It, but it but how did you get the job? Did you have that job or did you leave Dallas and then get that job? What was that like? I left – well, I left Dallas because um, – I knew, like, there was a lot of things going on in, in Dallas on my career. I, I blamed uh, the girlfriend at the time for kind of holding me back because in it's if, if you have a good voice and you're attractive and you have a good head on your shoulders, it's a lot easier for women uh, to work their way up to the midday spot. Now, I'm not saying to be boss or to be the PD or nothing like that, but you can find yourself in a nice little midday position and a lot easier than a guy can, you know, Um them's the facts so i kind of was like a little like man like how is it so easy for her and here i am you know um putting my career on hold for her and it's time for me to kind of move forward in my career and in dallas at the time they were voice tracking nights uh clear channel was 
from Houston and I, it was a cumulus station. So I'm like, cumulus does everything that clear channel does just a little bit later and a little shittier. So I was like, <laughs> if they're voice tracking their nights in Dallas from Houston to Dallas, cumulus isn't far behind. So I have to really make myself an asset and I need to be in management somehow. So I started like just sending out demos. I sent one to Fort Smith and I sent I pretty much everywhere, man. And I sent one to uh, Vegas as well. And Vegas, um, they had called and I had talked to them and Fort Smith had called and I was like, Hmm, Fort Smith was for assistant program director. Vegas was for morning show co-host. And I thought about it and thought about it. And at the time the girl friend was like, all right, you got to go <laughs> like the, the, the drinking is you got, you got to go, you know? And so I was like, all right. So I left and I drove to Michigan for like a, a minute. And I ended up getting the job when I was, I was just coming back to Michigan to kind of make my determination where I'm going. And that's when I did, but yeah, Vegas, the morning show guy, he, he looked like he smelled like hot dogs, Ron, like every morning I would come into work and he, I would just smell hot dogs, you know, and <laughs> kind of thought Vegas, me, you know, I, the ex told me I drink too much and, you know, put some cocaine in front of me, who knows, you know, right. what, what, when I'm drinking it, it would just, sure why not you know kind of attitude and so i'm like you know fort smith would probably be better and it is close to dallas you know it's only like four hours away and you know so i could still see people that i like and this and that and um so i i chose fort smith you know and to be assistant program director and how was that job because that was almost like it's you know what was because that was a different animal wasn't oh, it Lord. talk yes. about fort smith arkansas oh jesus help me <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I get to Fort Smith, Arkansas. And this is what, this is like 2007, 2008 or no, is 2008. it 2008. 2008? Okay. Yeah. In the summer of 2008, June um, 17th, matter of fact, this <laughs> is when I drove down and I drove down there and I, I meet Ralph Cherry and they put me in a hotel or whatever. They're like, Hey, you know, we're going to pay for you to live here for a minute, but Ralph Cherry was the ops manager, right? Yeah. And by them pay for it for a minute, man, you pay for it and we'll pay you back in a couple of weeks. <laughs> right, you check. Right. So I'm right there running out of money, you know, and I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm struggling here. So I find this place. So it's anyway, I get into Fort Smith and it's just like, holy hell. Like I thought, cause Arkansas touches Texas that it would be like Texas, you know, Northern boy from Michigan. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know. Nope. Way different. You know, maybe there's parts of Texas that are like Fort Smith, Arkansas, but I don't really think there's any place on this no. earth like Fort Smith, Arkansas, Ron. Wow, there's so many things. Um, so I immediately realized, holy hell, where am I at? What did I do? I hate it. How do I get out of here? Um, like almost was, immediately you regretted going there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what do you do when you go somewhere and you regret it? <laughs> you bring a friend. <laughs> And you that's just what job. you did for the second time. Corey Winfield put his neck out there and said, Hey, call this Ron guy. Because now we're talking 2008 and I had, I had gone from teaching at specs. This, I was, I was going through a divorce. So I was looking to occupy my time, but at the same time I was working at specs, teaching at specs. I was running the ribbon boards at Comerica park and I was working at WGR. So I was working like 60 hours a week and in a matter of two months, all that went away. So if I wanted to continue working in radio, I, I, the only opportunity that I had was Fort Smith, Arkansas, because I was literally uh, two days away from taking a job as a waiter at a steakhouse when you called me and said, hey, there's a there's an opening. 
for assistant program director at the country station here in Fort Smith, sent him your tape. And I did, and I didn't get hired. You remember that? No. They didn't hire me at first. They hired somebody else, and that guy didn't show up for the job. Mm. You don't remember that? No. I remember there was some... It was. I thought it was between you and a, it was between you and a woman. I thought, or maybe that was my thing. I don't know. I don't remember who if it was a male or a female. But I know that you had told me that someone because I called you because I hadn't heard nothing. But mm. I do. I eventually come to Fort Smith, Arkansas, and uh, and and you know what? That made things a little bit bearable, knowing that we were working together. So it was is as bad as Fort Smith was. And and if you've never been to Fort Smith, Arkansas, I don't even know how to describe what it's like as someone who's from the North and Midwest. In Arkansas, let's just say you're not you're not accepted warmly. No, they don't. They don't look kindly on the on the Yankees. They're they're not no, thrilled. And, but but to that to, to the point, the radio station was a different entity too because they were doing things there that were just so generic and basic, and anything out of that ordinary was looked at as craziness. But when you when I the way I thought about it is is even when I was doing a much more conservative radio show on a country station than you would be on a classic rock station, they're taking the ball right out of your hands of any kind of creative creativity or any kind of creative bits because that just wasn't they didn't want to hear that. I mean, if we came to them and said, "Hey, you know, for a summer promotion, let's the first time like summer promotion." Summer promotion? What the hell are we going to do a summer promotion for? Well, let's let's have it to where, you know, we can have these events, and this is what we did, you know, I was in Dallas, or this is what we did when I was in Kalamazoo. You know, we get people registered, because we, we needed the income, too. So we're like, more remotes, more remotes. And the, the, the remotes, was it was $25 an hour or something ridiculous. You know, like I was used to like getting 100 you know, and now it's like, wait, huh, $25? So 50 bucks? Nah, I'm good. I'm, I'd rather right. sleep in on Saturday, man. And so... You know, we were, but we were trying to figure out ways to do that. But like, if we would have came up and said, "Hey, man, let's give away a car and let's do that," oh man, how about we stand on the corner and give away sam sandwiches? <laughs> you yeah. know, that's that's a, that's what they would come back with. You know, seriously, and you'd be like, "Oh my god, like, where am I at? What are, what are these people? Who are they? What, what what do they do with the radio people?" I knew I was and, in trouble when we had Taylor Swift tickets, and I wanted to put a package together to send the winner to the concert, and then also get limos and airfare and all that. Um, and they put us at a. Uh, at a John Deere place. Like, how many people who shop at John Deere were listening to Taylor Swift, do you think? Like, I knew I was in trouble when they put me there for the promo to try to sell these tickets. It's like these 40, 50-year-old farmers who are buying these tractors have no idea who Taylor Swift is. Yeah. And so, and, and then, you know, we'd have Montgomery Gentry into town. We'd have those K-Mag fans that you would fan yourself off. We ran out of those, mm-hmm. so they told us to put the sticker of K-Mag on on the sister stations, so it's like it looks podunk. It's like you want to do this to represent your. There was so many things that were just that did not make sense. That was the first place. That was the first time in my life that I questioned common sense and whether everybody had it. But it was just a definitely a, yeah, you, an interesting time. I mean, it was a different. I mean, I don't even know how to describe what it was like to work at that radio station at that cluster because it was it was just it was like out of the twilight zone. It was, and people don't, and they might think we're joking, but we're not. I mean, it was the craziest. Um, I was just telling my wife about it last night when I was kind of reminiscing, and I was, I was, I was going back to the whole Tommy thing, and um, this guy he blew up in a meeting. I had never seen anything like it. You know, it was great. <laughs> it was awesome. He but, worked at the know, country station with me. Yeah, he worked. I think it did a shift before me. Tommy, yeah, I don't this, remember his last woman, name. Yeah, 
who who would call in every Monday, and and this time, and then this is owned by Clear Channel, and it was my first time working for Clear Channel, so that was kind of different, but it, it was nice. And this chick would call in every Monday, man, and she was the promotions director, and we would go to events and have pictures and Kitty? Want to put them. On Are you talking about Kitty? No, Danae. Oh, Danae. Okay. Yeah, but but Kitty was was right there with it. You know, she was pretty much the same thing, and she was the production director, and it was just really weird. And they would call in, and Tommy had just got enough, and so he just kind of lost it in a meeting one day, which was which was like I said, was great, and and it carried out in the hall, because he wasn't thrilled that he was he he felt that he was getting to have to do all the production, and no one else was getting the production right to do the the to produce commercials. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, something like that, or that she wasn't doing her job. He was, he was worried about everybody else doing their jobs. And I was worried about how they didn't do their job affected my job, you know, but what they did, I really didn't care. Um, but it was great. And then Carrie's out in the hallway, and then um, you and him kind of get into it. And as Alex would say, uh, you told him to do something to himself that is uh, physically impossible. And I, so I, I, yeah. I'm not going to sugar. I told him to go fuck himself. Yeah, he'd tell him, go fuck yourself. And so the, it was the, great. The, yeah, it was great. <laughs> so then HR comes out and they're like, we need to go, what happened? And of course, Alex and I are covering for you because we're like, you know, as as great as that was that Tommy blew up like that, we, we had we had your back because you, you were just, kind of, you didn't have anything to do with it. You know, for him to tell you that was kind of messed up. So, you know, we're kind of wording it like, well, you know, then Tommy said this. And, and then, you know, Alex puts in his that, yeah, um, Ron tells him to do something that's physically impossible. And you, you write on yours, I told Tommy to go fuck himself, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, Ron, we were covering for you, bro. Like, and then yeah. you, you made us, now they're not going to leave ours because. Right. Just- well, I didn't know you were going to, but but that's funny is is when they were asked what I had said, both Corey and Alex both said, and, and at that point, after Tommy had just read the riot act and the entire staff, Ron told him to go do something that was physically impossible for him to do. <laughs> and I, to this day, I love you for that because I don't, you know, I could have been fired. I mean, it was just, a, but I'd had enough. I mean, he was just, he had, he had FUs for everybody. And I was just like, Tommy, stop it. Just stop it. And he didn't want to have none of it. But yeah, that was, that was a weird, weird, weird thing. No weirder than speaking of Arkansas, <laughs> You went through a ghost hunters phase. Shall we talk about that? Yeah, well, I remember the first time and what what kind of made us go through that was you. We had Well, that's after, not how I remember it, but go ahead. Oh, that's how I remember it. We were um <laughs> it was after a tornado. I think it was after the one that went through Tulsa or not Tulsa, but um Joplin. And they were like, How come people weren't warned and this and that? So it was like something where we wouldn't a lot of, we, a lot of times we wouldn't have anybody in the building so they were saying that the fcc was making them put somebody in the building all the time so they look at us and go well somebody's got to be in the building all the time you guys have to share these shifts on the weekend we have to come in and just sit around and do nothing and we were not happy about that and i remember i was in there and you had a remote and you came to my studio and you're like dude like why'd you touch my keys or something and I was like, what are you talking about? You're like, you threw my keys in the middle of the floor in the jock area. And I was like, no, I didn't. And you're like, whatever. So you kind of leave. But then you come back and you're like, dude, like somebody just said, hey, to me as I was walking. And I was like, what? And so I thought you were just messing with me. And so we set up a, we turned I didn't know that that's what started the prompt because that, you know, there's, that place was haunted. I'm sorry. That, that building we worked in was definitely haunted. Yep. So we ended up calling um, the paranormal people, which was crazy because they had uh, some charity stuff going on, which we ended up kind of hooking up with them and, and doing some very cool events. But 
they came in with their cameras and they set it up around the, the station and um, the resident live in Brian uh, popped in, <laughs> which is weird. He was like, what are you guys doing at my house? And we're like, it's a radio station, buddy. Because <laughs> He had nowhere else to go. So he just would leave and come back and sleep there. Um, that was weird in itself, but yeah. So they, they caught like one of the cameras moved like in a way it doesn't even move. Like it's not a tripod. It would either go up or down and it was moving to the left. Like, like something was moving it and you know, they caught some stuff, but they couldn't really say what it was. And so that, that was kind of crazy. And, uh, later on, uh, Kendra, who I don't know if you ever met, did you meet Kendra? Well, she was walking down the hallway and I was wearing a short sleeve shirt and, I, I felt like something pulled me back, you know, like something like grabbed my, my sleeve and pulled me back. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, I thought it was her. And the look on her face was like sheer, like, Oh my God. Um, she said it looked like fingers were inside my, my sleeve pulling me back. And I, I'm trying to just debunk it going, no, I, I must've hit, hit it on the door over here and I'm trying to do it. And I, I even awkwardly, I couldn't even do it. And she's like, no, Corey, I saw your shirt pull back. And she like ran out and she's like, I'm never going to be here alone again. You know, like, this is crazy and this is real. And this is Demon Steve. Really? Yeah. Hey, you know what? What? Can you turn off the light? The lights are off. Hey, you know what? I know everything. Hey, they should tell the election update. I'll you tell the election. Make sure you pass it on on the way, yo. I'm not passing any stupid election notes on. Yeah, can you pass it on to everybody? There's no elections in hell, boy. Hey, Pete. Can you do me a favor? I'm coming for you. I want to introduce you to Instacart Express, the products you love from your local stores, delivered right to your door in as fast as an hour. Your groceries hand-selected by Instacart shoppers based on your preferences. They also pick the freshest produce, and they're going to keep your eggs safe too. Instacart also highlights deals for you to help you save money. Just follow the link in the show notes and get free delivery on your first order over 35 bucks. Go check out Instacart today. The craziest thing though would probably the the tornadoes were pain in the ass. Um, the, the people were a little different. Uh, yeah, it was a different language. But when we got yelled at for playing wiffle ball was was a, a, a top moment. <laughs> because <laughs> let me explain because when we took the job like we were assistant program directors and it was right before clear channel went on their firing rampage or spree whatever you want to call it so we were assistant program managers so we did whatever ralph cherry who was the ops manager told us to do and whatever and one of their rules was you had to stay in your studio the whole time, which normally you think, well, yeah, why would I leave my studio? Well, here's the kicker. We weren't allowed to go live. So we'd have to record our show. Right. And then just sit in the studio. And if we left the studio or when, if you came to my studio or I came to your studio, then we would get in trouble and we get yelled at. And see, the, 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 but that always bothered me because much like I started doing in Benton Harbor, I definitely did it when we worked together there in Fort Smith, Arkansas, is before I would go on the air, obviously doing mornings in St. Joe and Benton Harbor and then doing my middays here in, in Fort Smith, I would talk to you about the show prep that I was doing. And based and the stuff that we would talk about during our conversation, whether you said it or I said it, was the stuff 
that I would use on the air. So to me, that was part of the show prep is to come in and pick your brain. Hey, what do you think about this story? How can I, you know, and we would discuss it on how, how to make the radio content better. So mm-hmm. to not be able to go in your studio didn't make sense to me at all. Yeah. It's not like, oh, you're interrupting my live break I'm doing. No, no, show was already recorded. You know, and we got to be in there and answer phone calls. And like, well, nobody's calling. You know, like, what do you, what do you want me to do? Well, just stand there and do this. We'll do. I'm already done my. No, you can't do production while you're on the air. But what the hell am I? I'm just sitting in here, doing yeah, nothing. Are. Hey, Ron, let's let's chat on on MySpace or you know, like let's well, play some let's play some poker. And you mentioned your your drinking earlier, and you know we would have meetings every Tuesday, and I remember they were first thing in the morning, and I remember sitting next to you all the time, and. You smelled like a brewery. And I know you wouldn't come to work drunk, but after work, you would drink beer from the time you got off to, at, at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock when your shift was over. And then the next morning you'd come in because you were drinking all night. So I knew you weren't drunk, but your pores, out of the pores. So I, I yeah. just thought you were drinking to cope with with how things were, but it was a, a, a long problem. Um Talk about how you're drinking. I, I, I'm glad you're so open about it. I'm, I don't bring this up frivolously, but mm-hmm. talk about your journey and like, when did you realize that you had a problem? I guess that's and and because it took you a while to actually get help after you found out you had a problem. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, when I was like 22, I was working in in Benton Harbor still, and that's when I kind of first kind of realized I can't drink hard liquor. Um, I remember hearing, uh, cause it, when I, f- I would start, I would drink on the air when I was doing like Saturday night shows. Cause I thought it made me like, Hey, I'm just like the people out there drinking. I, I can really, really relate. And then I get off the air and people are like, man, that was a great show. Or you talk about this caller that I, you know, made fun of or whatever. And so it became like, Hey, that I, I'm better when I drink. Well, as I got better time slots and this and that, I started, ended up drinking like during the day, sometimes during my show. And I remember hearing this commercial that I had done and it was so bad, Ron. It was so bad. I was so embarrassed and I drove back to the station and I redid it. And I swore there that I'm not going to drink on the air ever again. And I can't believe I didn't get fired. You know, I mean, people had to smell me at the, at the station, you know, it's very embarrassing to think back about, you know, um, about all that. And, you know, so I swore I'll never drink on the air again. And I, I didn't, I would go do remotes at bars and I would people, would, Hey, I'll buy you a shot. And uh, don't, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to drink it. And, and that was good. And it kind of makes me still kind of sad to think about how much better I could have been if I just would have not drank at all. But yeah, I would go home. Um, I would get off, especially like in Dallas, I would get off at midnight and you know, I would, I would just pound beers all night. Um, you know, until I go to bed and I, I'd get up and at another job I'd work and then I'd, I'd get off that and I would, I would go to the radio station, do nights. And, you know, it, it, I felt, you know, I earned it, you know, especially on the weekend, man. And then I sh- I worked all week. I, I deserved to get drunk. And um, that's when the woman at the time was like, I just, I can't, I don't, I don't like you when you're drunk and you know, you have a problem. And it's funny because um, the letters that she wrote me are, are so true. You know, she was afraid about me dying and, you know, she doesn't want to uh, see me go out that way. And I don't know if she wasn't a psychic or anything, but it's, it sure seemed like it. Um, Cause later on, you know, in Arkansas and that didn't help man. Um, 
I mean, neither one of us were happy there. I mean, we had our different reasons. I mean, I, we were both away from home. We didn't want to be there, but mm-hmm. it was the only place that if we wanted to stay in radio that 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 uh, that we weren't, you know, because like you said, they were firing and laying people off all the time. So we were both just lucky to have jobs. But with that said, we were both miserable, and that's what I chalked it up to is just, just you just drinking on the off hours because I never saw you drunk on the air. So that surprises me. But my mm-hmm. thing was, I thought it was just always a coping mechanism until. After you left Fort Smith, because when I, I was fortunate enough to get out of there in 2010, I always joked with you, it was Jerk. like, if, if we ever get out of here, um, I'm going to shoot you in the kneecap. By the way, I'm not going to shoot you, I promise. Um, but uh, just for bringing me there. But I didn't realize how bad your problem was until after you left Fort Smith, you were lucky enough to get the program director gig at your old stomping grounds. You got hired as the PD at WIRX. I remember talking. I, well, I you were thrilled. I mean, because you, how long were you in Fort Smith? Eight years? Six years? How long were you there? Almost, yeah, I think eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Which is, I'm sorry, um, for all due respect to people who like Arkansas, that was a prison sentence. But with that said, you finally, because you you, you had set up roots there after I left, you were there a couple years. You bought a house, the whole nine, but you got an opportunity to come back home and be Mm -hmm. the PD. And, uh, I remember talking with you when this was going on, and, and and just I could see the progression from excitement to like, oh my gosh, I might not have a job because things went south really quick. And it wasn't because of your drinking; it was because mm-hmm. they weren't allowing you to be a true program director. Things had changed since we've been back since we were there the first time. Talk about mm-hmm. your transition back to uh, IRX and and how that snowballed into uh, into what it turned out to be, which you know. In a lot of cases, would be horrific and, and bad news, but because of what happened, you were able to get sober. So let's let's start with that. But talk about that transition when you came back home, if you would, Corey. Well, I have to rewind it for a minute, just because it'll you'll see why. So back in Arkansas, and it was January of 2015. I had had the whole month of December off. I mean, I had been there for so long, I had enough vacation time. I took the whole month of December off 2014 and I drank and drank, drank. At this time I was back on hard liquor and it was like hundred proof stuff. And I remember waking up, I remember before that vacation, I I told myself, I got to take it easy, man. I got to really be careful. And I would wake up and it would be dark and it'd be six o'clock. I didn't care if it was morning or night, I would just keep drinking. And it was the whole month was that way. And I wasn't going home um, because of a fight I had with my family over drinking uh, for that the holiday. So that may be even in worse. And, you know, when you're alone um, and you have a substance use disorder and, and you're, you're drinking or doing whatever drug, you know, to escape what's really going on, you know, it becomes a problem. But so I, I get back to work in January and my coworker, Steve, who was your replacement when you left, looks at me and he's like, man, you're jaundice, you know, and I had this pain in my side. It just wouldn't go away. And he made me call the doctor to get an appointment. And I did, and I went in and they had sent me to the the hospital. Uh, they said they had a bed for me and that it's bad and that my liver is not working. And I was 36 at the time. And I thought, okay, well I'm here to fix me. And they're like, no, you're, it's going to be a minute. And I ended up staying there almost a month. And uh, it was, uh, it was, it was a rude awakening. The doctor came and he asked me how long I had been an alcoholic. And I told him I wasn't. I just had a good month. And he said, no, I, I've seen, seen pictures of your liver. You know, this is, you've been drinking for a while. Um, you might've had a good month, but this is, this is something that's been going on for a minute. And so it was hard. Um, 
I still wanted to chalk it up to, well, the doctor gave me a pill that was supposed to help me and it didn't. And that's what turned my liver off. Or, you know, I was still trying to make other excuses for it. And when I left, they said I was lucky. 98% of people in that condition die. My kidneys uh, shut down as well. My other organs were starting to shut down. It said if I would have missed that appointment and just went home, went to sleep, I never would have woke up again. That's how close it was. And they thought I might have to do dialysis every day for four hours for the rest of my life. Like they, they, they weren't sure. And so to come through all that and to make it out and think, okay, cool. And they were like, Hey, you need to go to therapy and you need to, I'm like, I don't need any AA meetings. I just need to stop drinking. So that was my first kind of realization of, okay, I, I do have a problem, but I just need to stop drinking. Um, when I got out, I, I did a few months sober and then I went back to drinking here and there and I thought I could still do it, which every person with a substance use disorder, and that, that's our dream world, you know, to get back there and, and to be able to do it like normal people. But there, we can't. Um, once we start, we can't stop. Right. So that is something I was working on. And then I get a call from Ben Harbor and they're like, hey, you know, we really want you to come back. And I had gotten calls from them like two, three times before. And they weren't even close on money. I was making, you know, 55 grand, uh, in Arkansas and they were like, Oh, well, okay. Bye. <laughs> I remember Jim Gifford was like, Hey, you know, I was like, thanks, but no thanks. You know, like I told him one time, I was like, call me when you, when you can afford to pay me to live in a house on the beach, <laughs> then I'll come back. So here's another guy, Paul Landecker. He's, uh, sending emails to me and I'm like, thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. You know, that it's, it's really cool that you think about me, but you know, the money's not close. So have a good day. And he's like, well, what are you, what are you making there? We'll match it. And so I sent him my W2 and he's like, yeah, we can do that. And that's why I was like, oh my God, like for real, like, this is what I've, I've been needing. You know, I've been needing to get home to your family and this is, this is going to be great. And you know, he told me, oh yeah, the new guy, Dave Deutsch, uh, he, uh, and I was familiar with him from my time before he was a really shitty salesperson that had worked there and nobody really liked him. So I was like, well, maybe he's changed, you know, and F him. I know who I am and I can make the station good kind of thing. And I mean, we had talked or whatever and I decided, okay, I will take it. And I came back and, and yeah, Ron, I wasn't, wasn't thrilled that it was, wasn't the place that I, I used to work at. It was Midwest family. When we worked there earlier in our careers, it was a family, you know, people weren't out to get other people, people, we were trying to make everybody better. And it was, it was a fun family place to work, you know, like it, it was cool, but this was a dark, not fun place to work. You know, um, Dave, the new GM, he likes to be little people in the hallway, you know, like yell at people and he, he doesn't really know much about stuff. So he like tries to read as many books as he can, but he doesn't have that, that real world experience of actually doing things. And so, and Paul's the same way, man. He's like, yep, yep, yep. He'll just say, yep, yep, yep. You can tell him the house is burning. We need to go in there. Okay. Yep, 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 yep. Let's go. And wait, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? It doesn't matter. We got to go. You know, that's, that's what the boss man said. And you know, that's how he got where he is in his career. And you know, it is what it is, but, um, frustration, man, set in real quick. And I remember talking to him one time I was out in the prime. I'm like, Ron, these people don't get it, man. Like I'm trying to like, baby step them through some stuff that's very simple and they don't understand. And it, it's blowing my mind how they like to waste their time. And, and like, it's, you know, 2016 or whatever, it's 2015. It's time for them to catch up a little bit. You know, they, it's just like when I left there, they, they were still stuck in time, you know, back in right. 2002, 2003, like they're still stuck there. And I remember one um, idea that I stole what we had did in Dallas, you know, it was like uh in Michigan and this, this should really worked, you know, it's like we decorate your house, you know, a lot of the landscaping businesses, they, they do that kind of stuff 
in the off season. And I thought, well, if we get one, we can, you know, get some lights, put it up, do a contest, do a contest, you know, WIRX lights you up for Christmas, you know, get lit up with WIRX, you know, get lit, you know, like there's tons of things we could do and tie it into a rock station. And the GM Dave just is like, that's not going to really work here, man. And I was like, well, and I, I was at that point, I was just done. I was like, man, it worked for us when I did it in Dallas. So I don't know why it wouldn't work for us here. And they went out and they sold it for $400. You know, I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know how many promos you're going to get out of this? And $400. And then I realized too, you know, everything there. And, you know, I could be talking out of church, but it was, there was a lot of incentives built in with bonuses. And then when I really started digging back and seeing like 11 quarters in a row, the PD IRX did not get his bonus. And it wasn't clear channel anymore. You know, it wasn't iHeartMedia where they charged 25 bucks a commercial or 30 bucks the flat rate. Like they could charge whatever they wanted. You know, they could put some on Y country and same sell the same commercial on WRX for a penny. You know, like how am I going to ever meet my, my bonus? How am I going to get my, my stuff? You know? And right. I, I was just like, Oh my God, like all this stuff's like, it's coming true. Like I messed up my career when I left Fort Smith, um, Dave Ashcraft. I mean, you could have stayed with us forever, man. Like, he loved it. He know. loved us. He loved you. I know that. You could have been yeah, there forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he said. And I'm like, no, nah. he's like, but I get it, man. He's like, there's no reason to even throw money at you or anything, you know, like it's going home. He's like, I get it, man. So yeah, going home when it didn't turn out so well. So I started going through this major depression too. And a lot of people, when they stop drinking, they do. And like I said, I, I didn't want to admit that I was alcoholic. I, I didn't really like the term alcoholic, you know, that alcoholic to me beats their wife and they don't make it to work on time. And, you know, they're just really bad people. And I was like, that's not me. You know, I'm not an alcoholic, but my mom noticed the depression and there were some other things going on. And, you know, so I, I went to, to my supervisors and I let them know about it. I was like, look, you know, and it was during my review on the 23rd of December. And they told me the station sounds the best it sounded in, you know, six years. And it's just, it's amazing, you know, what I've been doing. And they really liked it. And then I told them I was, I was battling this depression and I don't really know what to do. And there was a time where I thought about just driving my car off the bridge on the way to work. And I thought, wait, that's not normal. Like normal people don't think like that. And so that's when I started to kind of get help. And um, I ended up going to Pine Rest in Grand Rapids. And I, I let the station know, I'm like, Here, here's what I'm doing, here's where I'm going. And they're like, okay, cool. You know, and I was like, well, I got to schedule music and do all this. And they're like, don't worry about it. But I scheduled music for like a week out. And I go away and I get out and I feel a lot better. And um, I had a friend pick me up and she's like, hey, you need to call. Uh, they want to talk to you at the station. I'm like, well, I, you know, I got this thing that says two weeks, you know. And they're like, no, you need to call them. So I call them and uh, Dave Deutsch or whatever, Paul Landeck or one of the two. And like, hey, we need to meet with you. And, you know, like ASAP. And I was like, okay well about what you know i just got out of the mental ward you know what do you what do you want to talk about you know i don't know if i'm ready for that but they're like yeah come on so I'm, i mean i'm at applebee's because i didn't want to meet at the radio station and they they just they sit down i'm like hey guys and they just pass me this note i was like okay what's this about and i had been suspended for two weeks with no pay i was demoted from being program director demoted from hosting the morning show and i just thought well what the hell just what is this and they said well you didn't schedule music I was like, wait a minute. You told me I was good to go. Like, are you, are you effing kidding me? So that when you're already depressed, doesn't, doesn't help. Um, I don't know. I, I think they I had this plan all along to move me to afternoons, which would have been a lot better if they just, when they hired me said, Hey, we want you to do afternoons. And I'm like, super, I'm good with that. But they had this, again, when you deal with people that aren't used to real world, I don't know. They they were just weird, man. Um, when I worked for iHeartMedia and I went away, 
they said, go get better. Here's FMLA. We'll help you out. Like they, they're a real company where you get these two knuckleheads in, in Benton Harbor now working for Midwest family. And it's just like, they don't know what to do, you know? And you got the crackpot as a <laughs> HR lady there. I was working in, it was like, Oh my God. Like it was just, it was bad. Like they didn't handle the situation well at all. And technically, you know, they couldn't, you know, um, discipline me for suffering from depression, but they it's just like, they didn't want to deal with it because they didn't know how clearly they didn't know how. And so that sent me to another depression, which led to me uh, being fired from there. They sent this email out to the whole staff saying that I won't be returning. And so I was like, all right, I guess, I guess I'm done there. Like I've never been fired, you know, like that's, that's crazy. And that these people are the ones that are going to do it. But I filed for an appointment and they said, no, 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 Corey quit. I was like, what? I got the email homeboy. Like, what are you talking about? And that was a whole nother thing. You know, the state of Michigan kind of sucks when it comes to that. And they're like, no, you should have went. And I was like, I was sick. Well, you should have went up there and asked what's going on. I'm like, after they send an email saying I'm not going to be returning and go up there and ask what's going on while I'm sick. Well, yeah, I do know that at that time, that was shortly after the Charlie Sheen meltdowns. But I got to oh, tell you, that people, was brilliant, wasn't it? People who about, knew you were kind of watching you on Facebook because you went after Landecker. You went after every, I mean, you didn't the police come? I mean, you had between because of that, you started <laughs> drinking more and you just had a Charlie Sheen yeah. type meltdown. And it was like almost every day you were you were doing something different. It was just crazy. Yeah, that was probably not the best time but it's, no it's it like, wasn't no i'm sure like it wasn't. the iman thing but with a little darker <laughs> yeah. tones to well, it well <laughs> but but you were angry and you were in and and in your head you were rightfully so but was that the breaking point when you realized oh my god you know i'm not hurting anybody but myself here i mean what was that point like when you said okay finally i'm getting i'm gonna get clean here well that was still a lot of the depression and when i would pick back up and drink. And then, you know, after, you know, losing a job, like I said, I'd been in radio 20 years, never been fired, you know, and I just thought, man, these, these are the two a-holes that, that fired me and then say they didn't fire me. And I don't know, it was just a really hard time. And so, yeah, I started drinking again and the doctors told me I could never drink again. They said, if you drink again, your liver is going to seize up and you're going to die. Like you're, you're not going to make it out. Were they giving you like some kind of some medicine that if you did drink, you would physically get ill? Am no, I remembering that wrong? No, that's, it's called an abuse. Um, but you didn't you do that or, or? no? No, I, I got physically ill anyway because my liver, uh, it, it like even to this day, like if I were to choose to drink, which I'm, I'm good with that, I don't want to be miserable anymore. But no, it my liver is, is so was so bad, like it wouldn't um, break down the alcohol. It took three, four times as long. So I would get sick as a dog anyway. So like to say, Hey, drink, you know, if you drink, you're going to get sick would be like, okay, like I'm going to get sick anyway. Um, and I need to keep drinking, but it never really gets it out of the system that way. Like when I, well, yeah, it, it was bad. And what, then what was a breaking point that you said, okay, this is, this, this has got to stop. Was it something a family member did or did you just realize it on your own? Oh man, it, it, it went in phases. It went in, it went in, in steps. It went in, in learning, you know, beating addiction is hard. And for someone like me who was so I'm good at this, I'm good at stuff that I do. It was hard to accept it hundred percent that I could never drink again. And, you know, I, I tried smoking pot and I thought I'll just smoke pot at one point. Well, that, that's, that's not what I, that's not what I want. You know, that's, that's not what, what I'm trying to do. 
um, instead of dealing with my problems and dealing with the issues that I have or even a healthy way. I, di I didn't know how to deal with them. And I would deal with everything by drinking. So then I would try to smoke pot and I would end up, oh, yeah, I'll smoke a pot and then I'll smoke a bowl. And then it would end up just, all right, we'll get a half pint, then a pint, then, a, then I'm back to half gallons again. And, hey, you want, you want the rest of this pot? Go get me a pint and I'll trade you. You know, so it always led me back to drinking because that's that's what I was trying to do is to get out of these emotions and get out of this thinking. And I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know how to handle it correctly. Um, no one ever taught me that. So rehab after rehab, I ended up going to 15 treatments, you know, and some of them, one of them was a mental ward, which made me realize I wasn't crazy. That was fun. But I really want to write like a book or make a movie about this experience. Cause it's been, it's been nuts, man. I met some really cool people though. But when, when I got to the point where I had drove and I didn't remember it and there was no reason for me to drive, it wasn't to go to a party. Like I didn't, I didn't drink and drive, you know, like that was my thing. Um, I liked alcohol way too much. So I would stock up and bring it home and lock myself into my own prison. And when I came to, I was in my, I, was, I lived in Buchanan, Michigan and this guy's knocking on my window and he's yelling at me and I'm like, what are you doing, bro? And he's like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, I almost killed somebody. I was, what are you talking about? And I get out of the car and he's just adamant about how I almost killed somebody. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? He's like, you're driving drunk. You're drunk. I'm like, yeah, I'm drunk. What's, what's it to you? And I told him, call the cops, buddy. You know, like, what are you, what are you talking about? And the cop shows up and I remember the cop's face, you know, just kind of like, what am I supposed to do here? And I told him that I wasn't driving. And that guy says I was and whatever, man, like prove it. You know, and I said, there was this woman that was, that was with me and that she was driving and I don't remember really too much. And then I told the cop, he couldn't take me to jail. And then he took me to jail. So, and the cop did, and he had been to my house cause my mom would call wellness checks on me because she was still afraid that, Hey, my lizard, my liver could just seize up again. So she'd call the cops out there and they, they were very familiar with me. And I went to jail. He knew like, technically he shouldn't have taken me to jail because if he would have gave me a breathalyzer, I would have blown over the, the 0.25, which then he would have had to take me to the hospital, but he wanted me to experience jail and he wanted me to have, um, consequences so i went to jail and they charged me with whatever and i get out and they tell me i can't drink anymore you know and I have to come to court in the state well i get out and i get home and then i there's a half gallon there waiting for me like that's another thing I, I didn't really believe i drove and um i saw my front headlight you know was busted and i had like this green <laughs> paint down the side of my car which reminded me of a um a garbage uh dumpster and that's when it was like oh shit like I was driving and I don't remember any of it so I, I drank that down <laughs> like okay let's make sure this you know and, and I, I woke up uh, I started drinking on a Friday. I woke up and I got a text from my mom asking me when I was going to pay my rent. And I texted her back and I told her I was going to pay it on Monday. And she said, honey, it's Wednesday. And I thought, what? And I 
kind of I was really I was hurting bad and I looked around the room and there was this empty uh fifths and half gallons laying around everywhere and I just thought wow like I don't like that this is this is dangerous now and uh my mom called the ambulance and the police intercepted because they're like no he's not supposed to be drinking let's take him back to uh back to jail which they had to actually that time take me to the hospital and they were like okay well you'll come back to court but i ended up doing another week in jail and when i was in jail i prayed you know I was like god like let that be the last time i ever drink again and that was the last time i ever drink again you know maybe it's just how i asked god and before I'd, I'd ask god like please like just help me stop you know let me understand what it takes to to quit you know and maybe i prayed about it all wrong you know maybe i was asking for the wrong things but i went through a long hard road and you know the things i'm doing now i wouldn't be where i'm at now in my life if it wasn't for for those moments and even that last time i drank you know it needed to happen the way it did and thank god i didn't kill anybody but once once ron i got to that point where it was like okay this isn't a, this isn't fun and games anymore like i i could really hurt somebody and not even know i'm doing it you know like that's that's not cool man and it, it it took, you know, going to treatment and then realizing, okay, what I want to do, I don't want to go and do any radio anymore. Um, radio now is, is just, it's so different than what it used to be. And I just, I, I wouldn't be happy. Um, so but you, I don't want to be a drug counselor, but I want to help people. And you've taken that to, to, to a new level, because as I mentioned, you're the, you've, you're a founder and host of uh, 217 Recovery, a podcast that does just that you're able to take your experiences and help other people. Could you talk about the genesis of that podcast, how it evolved as well? Yeah, it started, um, when I was in that last treatment center, it's like my sister had been telling me, you know, Corey, you need to start a podcast, but I didn't know what to do a podcast about, you know? And uh, when I was in there, the treatment center is like, okay, well, you know, what was the one thing that I, that I put above drinking and I would always say, well, when I have a kid, I'll stop drinking, which is nonsense. It doesn't work that way. You know, I just would have been a drunk dad. But when I, I started thinking about it, you know, what would it take? You know, what do I put about drinking? And the one thing I can say I put about drinking was being on, on the radio. You know, I, I, I said, I'm, I'm not drinking on the air and I didn't drink on the air. Now, I would have been a hell of a lot better <laughs> if I didn't come in hungover. But, you know, I didn't drink on the air. So I'm like, OK, well, there you go. You know, here's what I need to do. And somebody suggested, we'll do a podcast about your recovery, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but I, when I get out of here, I'll be sober for three months. I mean, nobody's going to listen to me, you know, and he's like, no, it's not about you saying how to be clean. It's just telling your story, man. You know, it, as each day goes by, you're going to go through a little bit more and experience a little bit more and, you know, talk about that. And so I did. And the podcast kind of took off. We got, I got out of treatment. We hit the ground running. We got the media sponsorship for the UFAM rally which is Unite to Face Addiction, Michigan, which was happening in Lansing. And I just kind of showed people I'm not messing around. And yeah, I do have a background in radio. You know, when I was in Fort Smith, it's the one thing about working for iHeartMedia at the time. It was great because when somebody would quit, they wouldn't replace them. They would just come to you and go, hey, do you want promotions? Do you want to do uh, community involvement stuff? Do you want to do whatever? And they would just throw you five more grand, six grand, you know? So it was, uh, it was one of those things that gave me a lot of experience. When I came out, I know how to write proposals. I, I know how to do those kind of things. So it was, uh, it was just kind of a natural thing for me to, to kind of do those kind of things and, um, make contacts within the, the community itself. 
and kind of get ties in there where we can move forward with what we were doing and, you know, uh, suicide prevention, you know, is one of the a big thing and, you know, just getting the message out to people that, you know, it's okay to reach out for help and you don't have to be stuck and you don't have to feel like I used to feel, you know, I was embarrassed, you know, but you don't have to do that. I mean, once you realize how addiction really works and, and what it's about, it just kind of becomes, you know, um, just like anything else almost, you know, like diabetes or, you know, whatever else has, has got people down, you know, right now it's my addiction to ice cream. That's going to kill me. But Well, I, I'll tell you this. I've, you, you, you make light, but uh, I've heard, I've listened to your podcast a couple of times and you definitely make a difference. And what I like about it is it's, it's not always the same It's something different all the time, but what kind of feedback do you get uh, from doing that show from other addicts? Would you share that with me? Yeah, other addicts, uh, they they dig it, um, especially people in early recovery. That's kind of what we're we're geared for. But they 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 find it helpful, you know, to hear that I'm going through some of the thing the same things, and I'm not afraid to put it out there. You know that yeah, I'm I'm struggling with this today, or yeah, this this happened to me, or that this is what could happen. But a, the biggest surprise to me was how many people listen that aren't addicts that have friends or family that are addicts and they're listening to kind of understand what their loved one or friend is going through. And we got a lot and still get a lot of people who write us that, <laughs> that thank us, you know, cause they're like, thank you. It really helps us understand, you know, what they're going through or, you know, how to maybe approach this situation where, they're not coming at them like they're a bad guy, you know, like, Hey man, you, you piece of whatever, why you, why you keep drinking, you know? And we kind of like explain it to them. Like that's, it's the addiction, you know, it, it, and how it works on the brain and normal, I guess, normal people. Um, they don't really look into it all like, like that. They just think, Oh, we got a problem. Why don't you just stop, you know, stop using meth then. And I, I have friends, I mean, close friends that, you know, are, are still struggling. And I, I wish for them to just stop and it's just not that easy, you know, um, they have to hit that point, but yeah, man, we're doing, um, transportation now as well. Uh, 217 recovery. I, I started wanting to, to do things for the recovery community that I know we're missing. We wanted to do, we're going to do recovery housing as well, but we're a 501 C three nonprofit. I made it into that not just to not pay taxes, but you know, it has other perks where we can apply for grants, but it, it's still, you know, there's still a big stigma to the whole word recovery. I had a lady tell me that they wouldn't give us the grant because recovery was in our name. And then I had to ask her if she knew what recovery meant. She's like, yeah, drug addicts. And I was like, no, it meant that I changed my life and I'm, I'm living better now, but thanks, you know, and glad we didn't get that grant because then we'd have to go do stuff in their community and I'd rather not do that. But as for personally, how long have you been sober and, and how, how do you find every day, how do you cope through every day without drinking? Because I know it's still a struggle. Is it still a struggle for you not to want to drink? No, no. And I think about drinking, but it's not a struggle at all. Um, yeah, I've been married. It's two, two years, two and a half years almost. And, you know, I got married. Uh, we're trying to have a kid and my wife, she's in recovery as well. And she's got a year and almost nine months. So we're going strong with that. And no, it, to think about drinking, um, it's normal, you know, or to think about whatever, you know, drug that people use, you know, it's, it's normal, but to play it through and to realize where I'm going to be at the end of it, you know, I'll lose everything. I, I can't stop. So when I think about it, it's just like, 
man, I'm glad. And I, I wake up more thinking about how glad I am that I'm not waking up like I used to wake up. And, and especially with the transportation thing, when we're taking people to treatment, it's, <laughs> it's a reminder. I don't want to be in my back seat ever again. You know, like these, these people are hurting and it's just like, whew, thank you, Lord. Like it, it took a minute, you know, but I had to go through everything I, I went through to be where I'm at today. And, you know, to be able to help other people and, it's pretty cool. Well, you know, I can't. I can't thank you enough for being so candid about uh, about that because you know it's it it can be a taboo subject. But uh, and I know you do some great work with two seventeen recovery. Um, where can people find that if they want to listen to that podcast, Corey? Uh, everywhere. Um, we just got a new app. I know it's made its way to Apple. I think Google's still kind of working on it. But if you pull up Google, you'll get our old app. But the new app, it should be. Um, out there so 217 recovery just download that app it's free uh we have aa meetings on there um a little bit about us some blogs and the podcasts are on there as well and we're going to start doing more stuff but iheart um pandora everywhere people listen to podcasts you can check it out on our website too 217 recovery.com but it's pretty easy to find well, besides uh, you doing the intro for Radio Days, the podcast, which hopefully you'll continue to be our voice for this podcast, but what's what's next for Corey Winfield? I really want to make a movie, Ron. And <laughs> I told you about this, and my wife thinks I'm absolutely crazy, but I think this will be a YouTube sensation or however we want to publish it. But if we did, Ron, Survivor Sober Living Homes, it's like survivor, but sober living. So you're you're getting the people who are in sober living after they leave treatment actually kicking each other out of the house. Interesting. So we get one winner. Like like Big Brother with with recover people who are recovering. Yeah. Is it more Big Brother than Survivor? That's a little bit of both. I guess you're right. Probably more Big Brother, but they're yeah. But still, I think it would be a great idea. So what would be some of the games that you would that would people have to compete? I mean, let's talk about this. If we're going to throw it out there and storyboard it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, like some of the challenges. Yeah. Like you could leave like a beer on the table. Today's podcast went off the rails a long time ago. Go on. <laughs> so you just leave, leave like a beer on the table. It's not really beer, but whoever drinks it, you know, has, has abuse in it. So they get sick or I don't know. Uh, yeah. Like we make, we make them all take abuse and then we leave liquor around the house. I, I see your recovery hasn't taken away your sense of humor. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> and, and then just to throw someone's shit outside, just, nope, you're out. Because, I mean, the, the people in sober living, some of them, man, they're just so, and I, I went to sober living afterward, and it, it's, you got to be ready for it. You got to commit to it. And it's, it's doing those things that you don't want to do that move you to the next level. You know, it's like, well, I don't want to go live with 18 dudes. Well, maybe you should then, you know, and then you start getting the, <laughs> a different take on things and realizing what you want to do and what you need to do are two different things. So you kind of put, well, I want to do this. Well, you know, me too. So like, anyway, it, it's, it, you'll hear everything in those houses, man. And you'll hear guys complaining and whining and you would go, is that really a grown man? Like, <laughs> does he really that, does he really just, is he crying about that? You know? Yeah, he is. What is ass out? Right. One more question about radio before I let you go. What do you? What is your thought about terrestrial radio in 2021? Oh, is that still a thing? Yeah. Well. Oh. <laughs> no, I can't listen to radio, man. Um, I don't know. Well, no, I take that back. I listen to 
1310, the ticket out of Dallas. That's the only station I can really listen to. Uh, those guys, they, they still entertain me. They make me laugh. Um, they do all, they, they do every, everything that I expected from radio. You know, they inform, they entertain and they're kind of off the rails a little bit and they're, they're human, you know, they mess up a lot and, and they, <laughs> they highlight that actually every week. Um, on the emergency break of the week but no the, the way that station is ran they do really good things and other than that though i can't listen to radio it's just it's bad it's horrible um that's just my personal opinion and nothing wrong with that Corey. i can't thank you enough for joining me today all the best to you and yours my friend thanks homie i appreciate it and can you play Amon for me <laughs> too soon too soon Thanks again to Corey Whitfield, and thank you for tuning in to Radio Days, the podcast. And, of course, keep an eye out for Radio Days, the movie, coming later this year. Again, if you'd like to help out and become a producer for this movie, click on the heart at the top of the page, become a Patreon. You can do so at ronrobertsstudios.com as well. Today's show is produced by Ron Robertson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos or photography headshots, maybe you need drone video or uh, photography, head over to ronrobertsonstudios.com. Also, if you've been thinking about starting a podcast, I highly recommend Buzzsprout. Detailed analytics tools to promote your episodes, much, much more. Follow the link in the show notes, and you get a $20 gift card from Amazon if you sign up for a paid plan. Plus, it helps support this show. Tune in next week for another episode of Radio Days, the podcast. Until then. You can't go. All the plants are going to die.